This is the Baywell Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today we discuss the perfect timing, spoken of in Galatians 4.4, in reference to the coming of Jesus in his cultural context. We also wrestle with the personal implications of the different responses to the world of Hellenism in our world today. Yeah, it's where we've been spending our, well, the, since the beginning of session three, we've been talking about the, um, I don't know if the proper term would be invasion, the intrusion, the appearance of Hellenism on the world scene. Um, I'm so critical of it. I probably shouldn't use such a critical word. The unrelenting spread of Hellenism. The unrelent. That is what. That's Brent Billings right there for you, ladies and gentlemen. Whether you like it or not, it's coming. <laughs> that's brilliant. And most people like it. And most. Well, that's what we're going to get to today. I like that. Most of us would act like we don't like it, but we probably like it more than we are willing to admit. But we've been talking about that. And we talked about in that first century, from a Jewish perspective, uh, everybody responded differently. And so we've been looking at those five groups. We looked at uh, Sadducees and Herodians who responded maybe more favorably to Hellenism and the arrival of Hellenism. Um, We looked at the Essenes who just wanted to separate themselves from the whole. They wanted to leave the corruption. They wanted to, uh, this purest movement that wanted to go restore and reclaim something that had been lost. And we talked about the Hasidim. We talked about the zealots um, and their belief in violent, passionate, redemptive violence and, and how that would uh, bring God's kingdom crashing back into earth in their mind. And we talked we talk about the Perushim, the, the Pharisees. And so we've been talking about all these different groups and and walking through that, and I wanted to take a podcast. Um, I don't have no, I don't have I have no notes in front of me, Brent. Just a conversation today. Conversation piece. Just a conversation. Um, not typically my my style. A little different than I've done it in years past. But uh, I just wanted to go back and recap these five movements, and uh, I don't want it to seem like a waste of a conversation. I don't think people will. I think people find this to be a really um, uh, practical and personally applicable part of the conversation. So I didn't want to just race by it or or flow a, or, or throw a flippant um, comment, a passing comment as we went by on it. I want to take a whole short episode. We'll see how short it is. Um, a, a whole short episode to just think about this one question. And I used to, I used to do this question a little bit differently, but f- it, the, the whole conversation for me stems around this idea that shows up in Galatians 4, 4. Um, there's a passage, a verse there that's always meant a lot to me. It was handed to me by Ray. And actually, it was, to be honest, it was handed to me by my Bible college professors uh, years before I ever met Ray. Uh, they highlighted this verse, and then Ray brought it back to mind years later. But Galatians 4 4, you have the good old NIV. That's our standard go to for no reason other than my own familiarity and selfish preference. But um, you have the NIV sitting in front. You go ahead and read all of Galatians 4, 4 for us. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Yeah, it's this idea of when the, when the set time, when the perfect time, that this fullness of time, that there's, there's an idea here um, in Galatians 4, 4, that at, the, at just the right moment, I wrote a blog post once called Perfect Timing. Uh, was the title of that conversation. Uh, And for me, I think it has to do with these conversations that we've been having uh, in the last handful of podcasts about these different groups and responses and the arrival of Hellenism. And I think that has a lot to do with it. But uh, while you've got it, you've got some different, let's just see how different translations translate uh, Galatians 4.4. So 
tell me what translations we got here and, and read it to me in that. So we've got the English Standard Version says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son. All right. All right. And we have the Amplified Bible, which I generally would not condone, but just, yeah. just for interest. Yep. But when in God's plan the proper time had fully come, God sent his Son. All right. Excellent. I then, like that. Then we have the message, which I also do not condone under normal circumstances. Oh, I love the message. Don't listen to him, everybody. Shh. No, 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 no. Don't no. listen to him. No, 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 no. Uh, but, but when the time arrived that was set by God, the father, God sent his son. Okay. Yep. Then we have the complete Jewish Bible. Okay. But when the appointed time arrived, God sent forth his son. All right. Give me, give me the NIV one last time. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son. Yeah. Not my favorite of all the ones that you just read there, but you, by listening to those different translations, you get the idea. Like there is a moment, uh, a culmination of uh, the culmination of all the timing in history, like when just the right moment arrived, God sent Jesus. And there's a lot of wrestling we can do about exactly what Paul's referencing in Galatians 4. four. I'm sure he's not referencing it in the way that we would word it. But I think on some level, why this moment in history? Why not 400 years prior? Why not right after the Babylonian exile? Why not 400 years later? Why not when Rome is falling apart? Why not? Why at this exact moment in history? And for me, my personal hunch is culture, like the cultural dialogue, like where Judaism was at at this point in history was perfectly placed for the incarnation, the, uh, the arrival of Jesus onto the scene. Like they were all wrestling with this, I mean, Hellenism in a lot of ways is really the anti-story. It's the anti-narrative to everything me. I'm going to be the center of it all. I'm going to be, I love the uh, Frank Sinatra uh, little plug you put in that podcast a handful back ago. Like I did it my way. Like that is so, it runs against everything we've looked at in session one and two. And here's Judaism trying to grapple with whether or not you, you can you embrace that can you have both do you need to just run from it do you need to engage it like so many of the conversations we had especially in session 1 uh you see revived anew in this new cultural setting and i think it just has to do with this perfect timing and so one of the things that i used to always do to try to get at this with my students and i'm going to change it a little bit this time for the first time i used to ask all my students to really consider like, which one of the five groups do they resonate with the most? Not that we don't have tendencies to resonate with, you know, different groups and whatever. But I used to ask them, like, what is your group? And I think that's a – I want us to still kind of have that question hanging in the back of our mind because I think it's useful. But I think I may have overplayed that in the past. Like, just tried to get us to associate with one group. Like, which group are you? And I used to always joke about me and the Essenes. But I think maybe the labels and the categories may actually get in the way if we overdo it. And so in the back of your mind, wrestle with which group you would associate with the most. But what I want to ask us for today in this conversation is to go actually maybe a step further, which is, yes, which group do you associate with the most? For me, Essenes, personally. Brent, who do you, who do you think you associate the most with? Probably the Pharisees. Probably the Pharisees. If I'm being honest. Yeah. Okay. That's good. I like that. I like that vulnerability there. Um, so, so have that question, but I also want us to wrestle with even more, which is how is it that I 
associate with each of these groups? Like, in what ways do I wrestle with? Because what we said in all of these groups is we said there's a positive and there's a negative. Every one of these groups brings something to the table that God needs to use, like he wants to use. There's no group that has nothing to bring, not the Sadducees, not the Herodians. Every single group has something to bring to the table that God wants to use. But every single group we've said has something that they're going to struggle with, a challenge that is unique to them because of how they see the world in their perspective and their worldview. And so I want to wrestle with each one of these five groups today. And I want us to think about the areas in our life because we're all different. It's not going to be the same for all of us. There will be some general cultural um, consistencies, if you will, that I think will be true. Gen- but even even among those things, there's going to be listeners that are total exceptions to that for whatever reason. Maybe they haven't been in the Christian community their whole life, or they're just wired differently, or there will be exceptions. So we're all unique in that regard. And I want us to wrestle with these things. So let's go through in the order that we went through them in our podcast and just wrestle with those things. So the first group we had, Brent, was which? Sadducees. Sadducees, right? And we said the positive. Can you remember the positive that we said the Sadducees bring to the table? They are living out their priestly role. Right. Like God wants to use priests. Um, Like we have a tendency to throw priesthood under the bus because of how it gets abused. Um, Not just literal priesthood in our day, although that as well. Um, But just this concept of uh, a priesthood, and especially amongst Protestants, like Obviously, Catholics are, are even more um, liturgical, like Lutheran uh, movements. They have, an, they have a different appreciation for priesthood. Um, but really strong Protestant movements uh, will reject the idea of priesthood. It's the priesthood of all believers, of which we totally affirm the priesthood of all believers. But not at the exclusion of the role of real priestly they might not be actual priest, priest, capital P priests, but we have those clergies, those pastors, those shepherds, those spiritual leaders. Hebrews 13 is going to talk about that. Hebrews 13 is going to talk about, um, in fact, if you don't mind, Brent, pull up Hebrews 13 over there and find that passage about uh, obeying your spiritual leaders. Like there is a role for spiritual leadership in our walk. Have you found it there? Hebrews 13. I don't know what part you want. Let me see here. Can you find anything about... uh, Have confidence in your leaders? Oh, maybe that one. Read that little... Read the context there around that. Uh, Let's see. Blah, blah, blah. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Yeah. So obviously there's a distinction here. It's not like the New Testament has no distinction. It's only the priest. No, there are spiritual leaders. They are going to have to give an account for their leadership. Uh, respect them. Um, uh, what was the way? How did it start? Have confidence Ooh, I like in your that. leaders. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority. Like there is a role that in the Protestant movement we like to reject. Um, and it's always served as a, and this is probably going to get way too personal for me, so I probably need to watch myself here. It's always been a personal hang-up for me. Uh, you know, I, there's a lot of things I've given my life to as a spiritual leader, as an ordained minister, as an ordained pastor. Like, I've given my life to want to shepherd God's people in a, in a certain way. And it's one of the weirdest occupations in some regards, because nobody would show up at the dentist's office and tell him he was doing his dental work incorrectly. Very few of us would show up at a CPA and be like, you know, I, I really think you did my taxes wrong. But boy, put a room full of people and and preach a sermon, and all of a sudden everybody is an expert. Um, 
And it's a weird balance in our world because we believe that everybody should approach the scriptures. We understand that anybody, I mean, I don't have a degree. My goodness. I got this bachelor's degree. I don't have this grad. I don't have all these graduate letters after my name. I've committed my life to a ton of study, but this priesthood of all believers is also held in tension with the fact that there are God ordained roles that are good. Those same roles that you see in the old Testament and the new Testament. Right. Right. Yeah. In the old Testament, God says that he's going to make them a kingdom of priests, and then he proceeds to make a single tribe the priesthood. Exactly. Both things are needed. They're going to be an entire kingdom of priests, but they're also going to need a physical priesthood to help them learn what that looks like on a larger level. It's exactly right. And then in the New Testament, you see again, we're a kingdom of priests, and then Paul says he's given some to be apostles, some to be teachers. You got it. There are these specified roles. And even in today's church, we recognize the need for it. As you say, there are ordained ministers. There are pastors. Right. They're not called priests right. because that word has this weird thing. But we have we have this elevated position of authority, of um, responsibility. Yes, absolutely. And so we, we see the need for it, but then there is that pushback. There is mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I guess my wrestling match here for our listeners would be maybe some of you are like you are clergy, you are called to be a shepherd. Maybe you have degrees and you went to seminary and you have that ordination. Maybe you don't, but you still have that role in whatever different facet. Um, maybe some of us are even things like small group leaders or like we're just wired to have a, a special role. Maybe we're elders or we're deacons in our local church. Like, do you understand that that role is something that God truly wants to use? And on the flip side, obviously the weakness of the Sadducees, Brent, without question was... They're completely corrupt. They're completely corrupt. So in what places, um, and this this could be a little tricky, but we need to be really aware if there's any places in our walk where we have, we use the gospel, we use the kingdom, we use God's... Uh, this thing that God has set up uh, for our own personal gain. We need to be very aware of those things. And neither one of us is exempt or um, immune to those struggles. Uh, It'll show up just all the time. So we have to be very, very aware of that. So good wrestling match. And so the second group that we have is the Herodian group, kind of similar to the Sadducees in some ways. Um, But the uh, let's start with the negative. Let's just bounce around here and do the, what's the negative of the Herodians we said, Brent? Uh, they're they're willing to compromise right. for their own benefit, their own pleasure, whatever. Right, idolatry on some level, like this new cultural idolatry that they struggle with. Um, and obviously, man, I'm going to have a hard time imagining a listener out there. I'm sure they exist. But I'm going to have a hard time. If you have an iPhone and you're listening to this podcast, if you have a smartphone, if you have a computer, if you have anything that allows you to listen to this podcast... <laughs> Like the first time I went to Israel, I went to Israel with 48 Amish people. Um, now even they had MP3 players and laptops, which asked me about that some other time. People are always shocked to find that. Um, it was kind of funny. I asked them about that and they said, well, there's three order of Amish. There's the new order. There's the old order. And we are what's called the out of order. <laughs> they even had a sense of humor. It was fantastic. Um, so I, I know that there are people that exist. I cannot imagine there are too many listeners here that don't on some level struggle with uh, with, with being a Herodian. Uh, like we like to talk about how we separate ourselves from culture. I know I do. Like I, I rail against Hellenism. 
boy, uh, you you know my life, Brent. I, I got Apple products. I got my Apple Watch. Got my Apple phone. The iPhone 10, of course. I've got my iPad Pro sitting in front of me right now. We're recording this on my iMac. Uh, We're both pretty well stocked. Yeah, in we, the technology department. Yeah, absolutely. We live pretty comfortable. I mean, we could certainly live more comfortably. And I think we often feel like ah, oh, we haven't given in to the consumeristic idolatry. You have an iMac, but you don't have an iMac Pro. Well, exactly. Mean. Yep. I mean, I could I could be making an, an awful lot more money. I could be living in an awful lot nicer house. And uh, man, let's be let's be real. Let's be honest. And you can even have people that have even taken it quite a few steps back from where you and I live, Brent. And we're st- I'm still gonna say, golly, we struggle with. Uh, there are so many things we struggle with in the way that we shop, in the way that we eat, in the way that we consume on just so many different levels. Um, entertainment, education, uh, privilege. Like there are just so many facets where this Hellenism thing uh, has gotten to us in the culture that we live in. We have a throwaway culture. We do. We do. We take stuff and we use it. And then when we don't need it, we just get rid of it. That's right. Even if it could potentially have value to someone else. Right. Most of the time, we don't don't bother. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, man, I mean, that's going to be a big wrestling match for any of us, just recognizing how that, and and I think we just assume it. We assume a consumeristic culture. We, we, We assume the consumption of so many things without even thinking about it. And it, it brings with it a certain level of idolatry that definitely gets in the way of how we pursue Jesus, w- without a doubt. So, so let's not just flippantly talk, like let's wrestle with that. But then the positive, what was the positive of the, the Herodians, Brent? This is what we need to realize. Because they're a part of the culture, they are perfectly placed to engage the culture and speak to the culture, God's, yeah. uh, God's message in the world. Yep. So for all of us that struggle with uh, being a Herodian, um, which is probably almost all of us, realize that those very struggles are also the very gift that we bring to the conversation. Because all of those areas of our culture are areas where God's seeking to redeem it, and we're perfectly placed to do so. We are right in the middle of a consumer culture. So yes, I struggle with my smartphone, but I'm also perfectly placed to teach the world how to use my devices. I don't know if I want to use that example. That kind of convicted me there. <laughs> um, I, I, may, I, I may be right in the middle of the throes of an entertainment culture and all of my, my Netflix and my HBO app and my binge watching of different uh, shows and sitcoms and those kind of things. I'm also perfectly placed to be able to use this cultural language to speak new life into old conversations. So here's a question for you, okay, buddy. I, like I, know, right. I know you have daily disciplines where you spend, you know, a good chunk of, of time reading yes. scripture, studying scripture, whatever. You bet. Do you think you spend more time in scripture or more time in movies and TV? I want to give an honest answer to that without just throwing it out. Uh, I would say I don't spend any more time in entertainment. TV, that kind of thing, than I do just playing games, that kind of stuff than I do in my in my scriptures. If anything, it leans towards the scriptures. And the only reason why is because I can go, I will go days if I'm traveling. I could go for quite, if I'm busy quite a long time without engaging the world of entertainment. I'm going to make daily space to go to the word. 
Um, and so it keeps that idolatry in check if I'm doing it correctly. Um, because I'm making time. I'm making, we talked about creating space in session one. I'm creating space for something. We create space for the things that we want to create space for. And that's actually a really good question, Brent, because I find a lot of us that struggle with our Herodian tendencies. Like I'll work with a ton of college students that are like, ah, but I just can't make time to memorize my text. I just struggle to get up and, and out of bed. But we're struggling to get up out of bed because we're creating space on the back end of our day to watch X, Y, and Z, which I'm not, I don't have any problem with watching X, Y, and Z. I watch X, Y, and Z. That's not an actual show, by the way. At least I don't think so, X, <laughs> Y, and Z. But I didn't want to pick a, pick a show and make anybody feel guilty. Like, we, we, we create space for the things we want to create space for. And that's one way that our, our Herodian um, uh, tendencies are going to show up. That's, that's interesting, though, because I know, like, I certainly spend more time watching movies than I do engaging the text on a month-to-month basis. Mm, yeah. Uh, maybe some months more than others, uh, depending on what's going on. But, yeah, yeah. like, I'm, I'm definitely off balance. Yeah. And even though you say that you are weighted towards textual study, mm-hmm. you had to pause and think about it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> to be sure. Yeah. Which, for me, knowing how dedicated you are to it, like, that's the kind of culture we live in, that the most dedicated person I know to the text has to stop and think, do I actually spend enough time in the text, or am I... Yeah. Oh, gosh, Like, that's our culture. We live and breathe what what we're talking about here. Absolutely. Uh, Yeah. Make no doubt about it. I, I, I struggle with this stuff. I mean, I can't wait for season eight. Game of Thrones, come out, bring it, I'm ready. And golly, I mean, so many issues that people could bring up about that. It's just me. It's me. Um, I struggle with the same stuff that everybody else does. Should I not be watching it? That's the conversation. Like that is where the debate rages. This is where this stuff shows up. And so let's just be honest about that and be able to be vulnerable because that's where the good stuff's going to happen. Um, third group, we had the Essenes. Ooh, like me some Essenes. Mm. Uh, they're positive. Brent, remind me of what they brought to the table. Uh, complete and utter devotion to the text. Knowing the path, walking the path, right? To know the path and to walk the path. And uh, obviously, um, I think Essenes in our culture are very rare, but they're out there. And I would even extend it. Like, let's, let's extend Essene even beyond the text, and let's even say that there are people that are devoted to prayer in the same way that the Essenes were devoted to text. Like, let's just say creating space for God is a super, like, if that's you, boy, you need to realize the role that you play. If if you are dedicated, like, be encouraged at this point in this conversation, whether it's prayer or the text or service and generosity. Like, I don't know what kind of spaces you're creating, but if you're creating like radical devotion to these spaces for God, man, recognize the part that that plays in the body of Christ. That's a big deal. It's a big deal. Not everybody's going to do that. Not everybody's going to be called to that. Not everybody's going to be wired that way. But if you are, whew, awesome. The tension is going to come. What was the negative of the Essenes, Brent? They are not in a position to engage the culture because they don't know anything about it. Right. Like I would love to just run away and read. And boy, it'd be great if I were that devoted to just learning and teaching and the text and the things I could I could do and the ways that I could serve the body of Christ. But if I've separated myself to where I'm not even engaged in the body 
not only do I lose the context, I just really have nobody to even share what I'm doing with. And so uh, that separate, that separate, that, what, what am I trying to say here? Separatist? Is that the right word? Sure. All right. This, this isolation, this isolationism is what we have to be aware of. Anything that causes, I was talking to somebody recently, I was on a speaking engagement and somebody came up after a workshop and they said, I hear the way you talk about discipleship. What is the, it feels like there's a danger there that this almost could become cult-like, like cultish. I said, that's a really, really, really good observation. And the only thing that makes sure that I don't do that is I don't, I purposely make sure that we don't isolate ourselves because that would be really dangerous. This could very easily become about Marty Solomon or anybody that has isolated themselves with their disciples, hold up in a corner. We have to make sure that we are engaged with our Herodian brothers and sisters in the local church. Like we have to make sure we're listening to people from other perspectives and worldviews. And this is going to be really, really, really important. So what makes the Essenes not a cult? Well, and in a lot of ways, I think, and and historians are, we're going to be all over the map on who the Essenes, we feel like we're still trying to figure out exactly who the Essenes were. But golly, there's a lot of ways where it'd be really easy. I mean, cult in the true sense of the word, I'm not sure if we can say they even existed at that point in history, but cult-ish, cult-like, yeah. I mean, they were very fanatical. The, the Essenes were so eschatologically driven by the sons of light and the sons of darkness and the, the coming of the end of the age. And, and here comes Elijah. And like they would have definitely been seen like this fringe fundamentalist fanatical group. And I, I think that's testimony to the very point we were just talking about. Some of them still went back to Jerusalem to serve in the temple though, right? They did. Yeah. Yeah. But, but most of them probably didn't. Most of them probably didn't as far as we can, as far as we can tell, but some did. And I do wonder sometimes I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall. How did that service go? They just put their head down, do their job. Were they like these radical, <laughs> freaks that showed up to do their priestly duty and all the other priests were like, Oh goodness, here comes Bob for a Hebrew name there, Bob. <laughs> but here comes Bob, you know, he's going to be flipping out about the sons of light. Ugh. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's been, been really interesting to have seen how the, how those dynamics played out for those that still continue to serve. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a danger. So be aware of that. If that's something that you, where is it that you struggle with isolationism? And it's probably just some corner of your life. Like when it comes to this thing, I just isolate myself. I don't even want to be in the middle of the conversation. I just isolate myself. Um, be aware of that. It's a danger. Two more groups. Zealots. Uh, obviously, they're positive, Brent. Let's do that first. They're zealous. They're zealous. Like, we need zealots. Um, man, how do, I, how do I say this in a way that honors all our listeners? Like, it is great to listen to a podcast. It's great to have discussion groups. It's great to do all of those things. Um, at some point, uh, we've got to go do something. Like at some point in Bema 2.0 or wherever we're at 4.0, I don't know where we're at in our Bema evolution. But at some point I have dreams for this little listening community around the country that I'll be able to find a way to not not just keep networking us better, but mobilize us better. And you know who's going to, like, if I can ever figure that out, if I can figure out how to mobilize us in acts of service, if I can figure out how to mobilize our different groups around the country to go out and be the kingdom, not just learn about the kingdom, you know who's going to drive the day on all that stuff, Brent. Who's it going to be? 
zealots. It's going to be the zealots. This is why Jesus chose a couple zealots and a pretty zealous Pharisee named Peter to to show up and lead his havara. Because we're going to have to have a pretty heavy commitment, a pretty zealous passion to actually stare all of the stuff that's going to get in our way, the obstacles, the hangups in the face and say, oh, no, we're, we're, we are going like buckle up because this is going to happen. Um, let's go, everybody behind me. Like we need zealots. The problem is what, Brent? Well, they, they, um, they might go a little too far. <laughs> When they use the wrong tools, yes. when they use the wrong weapons, when they use the world's imperial methods to get the job done. And it's so easy to do when you're full of zeal and you're full of passion and you just want to go. And there's this tool, this weapon sitting on the table right there. And it's so easy to just grab it because it's going to make it so much more efficient. And you've got all of this passion that's wound up inside of you. And you just want to go make something happen. And you got this fire and there's this thing. We're just going to grab this thing and go make it. It is so difficult. It's so tricky um, to go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is my zeal going to make me grab the wrong thing? Is my zeal going to make me go the wrong direction? Is my zeal, how do I make sure, if you go all the way back to Adam and Eve in session one, how do I make sure that I know how to say enough? How do I make sure that I know what self-control looks like here? I need my zeal. My zeal has to be tempered, not by my animal appetites, but my zeal has to be tempered with my um, commitment to look like God. And God was the God who knew when to stop creating. And God was the God who knew when to what, Brent? Stop. Destroying. Destroying, right? That is the important part of God the zealot has to remember. God knew when to stop destroying. Does the zealot know exactly how to put that on display? Well, I think maybe another angle of the zealot problem is that they stop seeing potential in people. Ooh. Because oh. they they see the Roman soldier and and they just say, well, that is that is a foregone conclusion. There is nothing good there. I'm gonna I'm gonna get rid of that to meet my goal. Man, <laughs> just gonna let that one sit there for a while. Brent Billings is on fire emoji. I thank you. Oh, I, I do. Yeah, potential is like this crazy concept to me, and I struggle with it a lot. Man, because. I mean, I'm, I'm that Pharisee type, mm-hmm. you know, Yep. everything's black and white. If you're doing the wrong thing, yep. you know, simple judgment. Yep. And, and I fail to see the potential in people all oh, the time. Man. Preach, man. That's good. I like that. Absolutely. So speaking of Pharisees, speaking of Pharisees, last group, um, uh, 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 the positive, how do we talk about the positive, Brent? Uh, they're, they're passionate. They're passionate about, they, uh, particularly about God's way, about the text. Yeah. They're, de- they're really devoted to God's, um, commandments. Uh, you said you have Pharisee blood running through your veins, which we all do on some level. Where, where does Pharisee look like for all of us? But Brent associates with Pharisee very strongly, uh, this, passion for doing what God says. Like, let's do what God says. Obviously, golly, we need, we need that. Pharisees get such a bad rap for good reason because of how hard Jesus critiqued them. And yet, what did we say earlier, Brent, in our podcast, Jesus critiqued them and yet, and yet he had discussions with them. He spent three years with them, right? That they were the group that he spent most of his time with. Like apparently their devotion to God's commandments and God's desires 
is exactly what they needed. But in the midst of that, very much related to what you were just saying about the zealots, the weakness was they lacked compassion. And they have to remember that people are just that. They're people. And they're made in the image of God. And we all got, I think of Brene Brown. She had this book. We can put a, we can link this in our show notes. Absolutely. Um, we can link a Brene Brown, uh, Rising Strong. One of the chapters she has in Rising Strong is she says, one of her fundamental beliefs is that everybody is trying to do their best, which is a great question. Do we really believe that everybody everywhere is trying to do their best? And I think a lot of us are like, oh, I don't know if I think that. Wrestle with that because she says she believes that she does. And the more I've wrestled with it, the more I think I agree. Like everybody is trying to do their best. Doesn't mean that the best is good enough. Doesn't mean you're doing your best to get you in the heaven. Doesn't mean any of that stuff. It just means that everybody is trying to do their best. And so we're invited to have compassion on people because we're all just people trying to do what we understand, using what we have at our disposal and doing our best with what we have to work with. And, um, and it's easy for a Pharisee to forget that because they see the standard they see the standard and they're so passionate about this good, godly standard. Um, but they, they miss the, they miss the fact that it's the people are what the standard was all about in the first place. Like the whole reason we have the standard is to redeem people. That goes all the way back to session one book of Leviticus. And so it's easy to forget that, but boy, do we need, we need some Pharisees. Um, and I say this to my students all the time. Uh, I think the trouble with American evangelicalism is that we take the worst of Herodians and the worst of Pharisees and we smash them together in our Christian subculture. Like we take the negatives of those two camps, we put them together. We are spiritually Pharisees. Like if you were listening to us talk about theology and talk about our churches and who's in and who's out and heaven and hell and salvation and boy, we are Pharisees. Like they are enemies and, and I know not everybody thinks that a lot of my listeners, I'm preaching to the choir, but, um, our dominant evangelical subculture. And part of the reason people even love my podcast is we're able to deconstruct some of that. But our, our MO as evangelicals is we, we are Pharisees spiritually, but culturally we're Herodians. And that's like the worst mix. Like Pharisees at least lived up to both directions. Like Pharisees were religiously pharisaic but they were also practically pharisaic they did not i mean you walked with me in chorazin and capernaum and betsaida brent what were they like they did not engage in the culture at all man they were not hellenistic they didn't have pretty things it wasn't marble streets they didn't have running water had they paved their roads brent uh no these glorious pavers these roman pavers no no did they have city gates like these big ornate city gates no Nope, nope. They, if they were Pharisees, they were Pharisees through and through. Um, and if you were Herodian, you were Herodian through and through. Um, our trouble is we're we're the we can be the worst of both of those camps, and it's something that we really need to wrestle with and come to grips with in our subculture. We need to learn compassion, and we need to engage culture, um, and seek to redeem it rather than consume culture and lack compassion. <laughs> Um, I mean, I feel like there's just so much more, but we are, you know, we're a good 30, 35 minutes. So much for that short podcast. So much for that short pot. So much good stuff here. It's though. not too bad. I, kind of I, middle of the road. Yeah. I like it. I hope it's been, I hope it will be a very really useful conversation wrestling match for our listeners. I know, I know it is for a ton of my students. So hopefully it's true all the way through. 
All right, well, that's it for this episode. If you want to get a hold of us, you can find Marty on Twitter at Marty Solomon. I'm at EIBCB. Check out BamonDiscipleship.com. We've got a map of discussion groups on there around the country, a few international ones sprinkled in as well. And uh, check out the Bama Discipleship Facebook page. There's uh, always new links going up there and, and cool discussion happening on those posts as well. So thanks for joining us on the Bama Podcast. We'll talk to you again soon. <laughs>